Welcome to episode 69 of Reading Between the Reels. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you're a new listener, we're so glad you found us. If you've been enjoying the show, please tell someone about us. Send a tweet, post to Facebook, write a review on your favorite podcast catcher, or just recommend the show to a friend. I'm Craig Dickinson, and I'm joined tonight by Corey Heidschmidt. Hello, everybody. And we have two special guest co-hosts tonight. We have, first off, we have Corey's son, Jude. What's up, Jude? What's up? And my son, Jaden, is here tonight to talk. Hello. <laughs> That's right, fellas. And here we're, we're talking, Corey, what are we talking about? There's, there's, I forget, which, what are we talking about? Now listen, we are talking about transformers, yes. okay? And you thought we brought in kids to be the experts? No, no, no. I'm the expert. I've been looking forward to this one for years. This right here is the whole reason I'm here. Yes. Fantastic. So, Corey, I'm going to start off with you then. Uh, overall thoughts on Transformers, the movie. Not, not well, not Transformers, the, movie, the 2007 Michael Bay Transformers movie. The 2007 <laughs> Michael Bay. Craig, I still remember the time I was in the theater, I was watching a movie, the Transformers trailer dropped. And I did not know about that trailer. I was so excited. I don't even remember what movie I watched. I remember I couldn't think about that movie. I was so excited. It was my dream come true. It's Transformers, the movie. I was pumped. I was on board right away. I absolutely love this movie. Absolutely love this. And I know Transformers through the Bayverse has kind of gotten some ups and downs. But I'm going to tell you, here's the thing. I grew up with Transformers. I loved the cartoons as a kid. Optimus was my hero. Uh, Bumblebee's my best buddy kind of thing. You know, it's just they all have their own character. And then to see them come into a real live action role like this with CGI was just tremendous. Everything about this movie brought in a perfect blend of nostalgia with modern modern steps, modern writing and designs and dynamics. And uh, so I think Michael Bay absolutely stuck the landing on this movie. Got it going, got the start for a Transformers franchise to get going into the movies. It needed to happen. He redesigned some things, which always set some people off, the people who are the diehard comic fans and the diehard toy fans of how it should be back in the comics or the cartoons. But the reality is this is this is an excellent adaptation. And uh, am I biased about this movie? Absolutely. I will admit it till the day I die. I will buy a ticket to any Transformers movie. I don't care how bad it is. I will be there. And I will support it because you know why? I want more Transformers. Just like the toys, I want more movies. And I cannot get enough. I will be behind every single door. Let's go, Transformers. I'm in the seat. There you go. Uh, Jude, what about you? What are your overall thoughts on this movie? I thought it was great. When I when I was a kid, I grew up watching all the cartoons. And then my dad first showed me the movie. I was like so pumped. I was like, what is this? It was like the first <laughs> time I've ever saw anything like this. It was pretty awesome. Nice. So, yeah. Jaden, what about you? Uh, pretty much everything Mr. Corey said, but I mean, when I was little, I just liked watching big robots blow stuff up. <laughs> I'm going to be honest, but now that I'm older, I really do admire the entire franchise and just pretty much the beauty of it. Nice. Uh, it's Great. big, dumb fun. Big what? It's it's stupid, I, but I love Michael Bay. Like I, I've said this on the show before, like Armageddon is one of my favorite movies, and that's completely ridiculous. I mean, it's one of those movies that like NASA shows to their scientists to have them pick out all the things that are wrong with it. But I don't care. And I found a quote that I really like. Roger Ebert actually gave the film three out of four. Uh, and he said, uh, it's goofy fun with a lot of stuff that blows up real good. And it has the grace not to only realize how preposterous it is, but to make that into an asset. And I just love that quote because it knows what it is. Yes. And now, it completely works on that level. I will say this. This movie in the beginning, being the first one through the gate, has a very different feel than all the others. Yeah. Right? And, but, but there's a lot of campy punch punchlines that are thrown out there. Uh, there's a lot of humor they throw into it, the little witty things and funny, awkward situations and moments that they do. But the point is to get people in there so that they're seeing it, but there's also some laughter. So I can see why Ebert said that, you know, three out of four, it's, it's, it's campy. It's fun. Um, I think the CGI holds up well, even I agree. Standards. Yep. you watch 2007 and your those transformations look amazing. The CGI looks amazing. Uh, and so it's, it's great. It, the story is good. 
you know, we'll talk more about that, but it's, it's, it's a great take to get the first franchise live action movie going. And so I think, I think that helps, that helps, you know, it's, it's the first one and that's always the most memorable one. And then as you get further along into the Bayverse, you know, some of the designs and some of the styles and things, you know, some people pick apart more, but, and some of the storylines, but. But I've actually I'm one of those people who likes the Bavers. I've liked them all the way up to the last one. So yeah, me too. Uh, so let's go ahead and jump into cinematography. So Jude, I'm going to start with you. What are some things that you liked for composition, color, camera work, those kind of things? I just like the graphics at its time because I've seen a bunch of movies that are never like up to its point like during that time, and it's just kind of like different, very cinematically like good first time and stuff a lot of blowing up stuff and like a lot of screaming i feel like and loudness and it was really exciting so that's what that's what i liked about it if that doesn't scream michael bay i don't know what else <laughs> exactly <laughs> michael bay is known for that yeah jane did you have anything that you wanted to point out for cinematography uh i think jude pretty much covered what i had but i think I'll add to camera work. It was a very shaky, very intense. So like it, that also added to the intensity of the action. Yeah. It's kind of immersive with the shaky cam. Yeah. Sure. Corey, what about you? I think, I think you notice there's a lot of times where there's some dark colors. There's uh, the, apparently all government agencies have to have dark shadow lit rooms all over the place. <laughs> mm-hmm. Big ginormous window screens that are see-through. So you can see what's going on in the other rooms with the cameras, even though it's a top secret government installation. Um, they do those kinds of things. Uh, but I think there's the thing with the robots that you notice is that the Decepticons are very oily looking or diesel looking. They kind of have a rustic look to them kind of patina on their metal. The Autobots are always shined and polished and and scuffed up a little bit. You see where there's some scuffs every time they transform, but when they go back to the cars, they're shiny and they're polished and they're looking good. And and uh, and so I, there's a that composition and that contrast in the colors helps to set the good, bad stage. Um, every one of the Decepticons was a flat color. Starscream's got the navy flat, you know, for the jet. Uh, Bone Crusher had the the military yellow for the sand color, and then the tank. Um, the only one that was polished was Barricade with the police car, which looked beautiful. Absolutely. <laughs> um, but no, they do that. They do that with that color and the contrast, bring that in. And then I uh, also noticed with the cinematography more this time, when he goes to get Bumblebee, Everything around there was yellow. The whole composition and the color of the saturation of all the things in there. The garbage or the garbage can was yellow. The gas pumps were yellow. Everything was yellow. And so it was a, a little nod to throw that bumblebee was coming. Nice. Uh, for me, uh, one of the things I really liked was when, when Blackout shows up on the base and he transforms and they pull away to like this really wide establishing shot. It's almost kind of jarring how he's kind of coming, he's like at the top left-hand corner. Um, but it, it feels almost more documentary style. I felt like it kind of lend to the realism of that and, and the sense of scale too, because you have to see how huge he is. And they kind of repeat that same thing I thought was interesting uh, when uh, Megatron is coming through the city at the end after he lands. It's very similar looking where you just see the sense of scale, how big he is. And it's just, it's kind of a jarring look. The way the way that they've set that up, but it's not a close up. It's not kind of it's not a very, for lack of a better term, it's not a very cinematic shot. It's more, like I said, more documentary, more realistic, uh, and therefore kind of jarring. That whole opening scene with Blackout is absolutely incredible. Just the the explosions, like you said, that camera angle, almost like a security camera on top of a building, looking that yeah. direct, and him just shooting everything, the planes and blowing up and then his, and then when he sets off that little pulse and blows up everything, that little EMP pulse or whatever yep. he does, uh, it just really shows the scale of the transformers and their, and their weaponry. So, yeah, but I bet overall, I mean, it's, it's really, it's kind of like a, a signature Michael Bay film. It's got those pan around shots, you know, those low angle pan arounds, which kind of spins, you know, uh, camera's almost constantly in motion in this film. There's hardly any like static shots other than like those ones like security camera. I love how you, how you mentioned that. 
Uh, I like also that there's like when you first see Optimus Prime, like it's a super low angle looking up and then they kind of, then they reverse it. So it's a super high angle looking down at Sam and Michaela where you really get a sense because he's clearly not there, but you feel like he is because the, yeah. the camera is, is, is the stand in for him. And then there's just tons of Dutch angles through action sequences. It's just like, it's all, there's so many things happening uh, yeah. that it's, it's really immersive and it's kind of just funded like, Oh, I saw, I saw that there's different stuff. It's hard to pick out one thing because there was so many things happening. Uh, one of the things that I noticed was that there's a lot of quick camera changes, mm-hmm. that take place, especially in some of the scenes where the conversations are going, there's cameras changing angles real fast. You get a yep. one or two second camera, boom, you're on to the next angle or it's a cutaway and it's so fast sometimes. And then the sweeping shots, there's never a long filmed section of 20 seconds from one camera angle. You know, yeah. you, you probably have multiple cameras going at this time where you're doing multiple takes, but you don't get that long drawn out scene with one camera. Yeah. And I'm looking at when you mentioned that I'm looking at there's three editors on this film. I mean, that's a lot of, of, a lot of stuff. And it's you got Paul Rubel, uh, Glenn Scattleberry and Thomas Muldoon, all guys who have worked with Michael Bay multiple times. So you're seeing things like the island is one. Said, but but Paul Rubel worked on Thor and the, the Avengers a couple of of uh, Fast and the Furious movies, Bumblebee, The Rocks on there, Armageddon. So like these are guys who have worked with him, know that style. So it's like he gives them this pile of shots and they just splice it together. But it's like that's that's amazing how they did all that stuff. Well, and that's where the other thing that stands out in the camera work is that during this, there's a lot of speeches, like little mon- like Secretary Keller's giving a speech about. Uh, being hacked and they flash to the helicopter out in the in the desert and so you have these flashes of the while someone's doing their their five or six sentence line speech you're getting camera flashes to here's the desert here's this you know and you get multiple scenes spliced in so you're not even looking at the person who's acting they're just a narrator over a scene right camera flashbacks and Michael Bay did that in Armageddon too. The scene that really stands out to me is when they're talking about getting trained for the for the the little the little thing that they drive on the on the asteroid. And as they're talking and explaining NASA, there are all these flashbacks going around of the team getting together and doing all these things. And yeah, you know what I mean. And so that he does these flashbacks where someone's basically my line in acting that I just delivered. I'm in the first part of that shot and the last part of that shot. <laughs> all these cutaway scenes i just narrated it yeah if you have a short attention span this movie is, is for you i do <laughs> That's why there you go uh so sound jane i'm gonna start with you what kind of things did you notice for either sound effects music voiceover stuff what'd you notice uh definitely uh appreciate sure it's called the shuffle effect when they're uh, transforming is that what it's called that sounds good to me yeah i i really like that really can't say anything else i'm not a nerd like you guys so uh <laughs> thanks i'm just gonna say where that price sound was good the uh how the uh autobots and decepticons talked it was uh i technological i guess yeah so the, the, the yeah the way they've uh, processed it yes mm-hmm. and that's all i have okay Jude, I'm going to go to you next, and then I see your dad's ready to go, but I'm going to I'm going to skip him and come back. So, Jude, what do you have for for sound? Well, it was a, it was a lot of sound. There's like so much sound in this movie. It was like I don't think there was ever a quiet time. There's a whole bunch of music going on, and one thing I've noticed a lot was like when Megatron transformed his big gun when he was fighting Optimus Prime. It sounded like it was going to be a big boom, but it sounded like a squeaker toy, just like <clears throat> like it didn't even sound like a. It sounded like a small minigun, like a laser gun kind of sound. And then when Megatron threw Jazz down and like on the pillar, when he took him up, flew him up to the top of the building, when he threw him down on that pillar, it made like a squeak noise when he landed on him. Like a cat toy. It really yeah. was obvious. It was so like a weird squeaking noise. And that's what I've noticed throughout the movie and stuff. There are a few sounds that just don't quite line up. And I and I totally agree that Megatron's gun is underpowered for what it should have been. But no, keep going. What else? What else you got? Uh I I think the the sounds and the effects I thought were great. The transformation sounds, we get the throwback to the G1 yep. Autobot transformation sound when as soon as uh Blackout transforms. 
when he stops his propellers and you hear the blade stop, there's that metal sound of just gears hitting, you know, in the beginning. Uh, I had chills. It was just amazing because it just showed that that rotor wasn't spinning like we have spinner motors, you know, where they're just going. He's in complete control of those rotors. And, and so then he starts transforming. And just the – I think the transformation sounds that Michael Bay has brought in are just amazing and recognizable now everywhere. Every transformation sound among all the movies, they get this metal clinging, very realistic sounding and what I would imagine it would sound like. And, uh, but then there's also some things mixed in them sometimes where Optimus always has like a, you hear his wheels spinning and then they have a different unique sound when they stop and lock. Um, Bumblebees is very clangy sounding, you know, he's a little bit smaller than Optimus. And so his, his has a different clang sound. They're very unique. Each transformation robot, uh, Ratchet has some clicking that's going on with his all the time. And, and it's. But you, when you – maybe I'm just too much of a fan that I know <laughs> things. I don't nah. know. But um, – and so it's very unique in all of those sound effects that they brought. It's not just a standard sound effect. It's that every single Autobot and every single Decepticon had their same transformation sound. Um, and there's some whooshing sounds and things they add in the background that are always good. So um, – for me, it's it's everything I want it to be when it sounds like that. It, the only problem is I can't make that sound anymore, you know, like I used to when I trained my robots when I was a kid. I was really good at transformation like that, but now it's too hard and too complex. But Nice. Well, I'm going to focus on the music because you guys covered effects pretty well, but uh, Steve Jablonski did the score for this one. Uh, he's a guy who kind of he trained under Hans Zimmer, and I, I love the fact that you hear a lot of that influence in this. Like it, it reminded me a little bit of like the Pirates of the Caribbean soundtrack. It's very, um, it's very big. You know, it's very the, there's this epic sound to the score. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's very, uh, very motivational, very inspiring. But you're also there's a ton of just pop music in this one as well. Um, the one that just made me laugh this time was we went to Bobby Bolivia's car lot and there was like the Mexican music playing in the background. Uh, but of course, then we also have, uh, you know, Bumblebee's using, you know, he's messing with, with Sam and trying to get him to help him out with Michaela when you hear who's going to drive you home and sexual healing, baby come back, multiple yeah. things, you know, just dropped in there. And then of course you can't talk about the music in a Transformers movie without mentioning Lincoln Park, who stretched out there 15 minutes a little bit with, uh, showing up on the end credits every time this time with with what i've done which is a good song but it was like and then every transformers movie after that i think they were on there what do you think of the music there was so much music it was just like everything was like i don't know only the times when there wasn't music is when there wasn't a time it was like there was always like action music or epic like music going on like sound effects background music of of some kind there's only like a few maybe like not even close to like one tenth of the movie wasn't filled with music it was yeah always music it helps build the set stage for some of the fight scenes and the action scenes to draw the emotion in. yeah and i should mention too it was nominated for two for two oscars um for for best sound editing and for best sound mixing lost both to the born ultimatum say what you yeah. will about that um but yeah it's i, mean, I think we've well, you all basically feel that the, the sound is one of the absolute strengths of this film. And I love what you mentioned with the transforming sounds. Like, that's so deliberate and so well thought out. Well, and the Paramount, now the intro for Paramount, when they do their stars and stuff that come across the lake and go over the volcano, that's their intro. In a Transformer movie, they use the transform the transformation sounds. They're not, they're not doing just a sound anymore, so... <laughs> Stars are flying and it's got that robotic sound to it. That's how you know it's a Transformers movie. There you go. Right away. Um, I will say this. Linkin Park, what I've done, absolutely fantastic. I love that song. I think it's a great one. Um, You know, at that time, I've listened to that multiple times. The two songs that really get me in this movie that I know it's Transformers. Number one, Bumblebee's transformation to a fine Camaro finally. Yes. Plays the battle without honor or humanity. Thank you. Written and performed by Tomoyasu Hote. And uh, that sound, that song is epic. I have that on my iTunes. 
And uh, for a while, that was my alarm waking up because it was so amazing. I love that song. Yeah, good one. And it's a great intro, especially for Bumblebee coming in all sweet, looking good <laughs> after he was insulted. And then, uh, and then the Autobots Arrival to the Earth song is just an epic build of Heroes Arrival. And uh, that song is really you know, just incredible. And I've had that for my wake up uh, on my alarm for a while, too. So. Nice. Uh, well, we've come to the part of the show where we talk about performance and we start with dialogue. So, Jude, you're going to get first crack. You have a favorite line. We'll do we'll do it, too. We'll start with one. You have a favorite line of dialogue from this film. My favorite line was when, Op- when uh, Optimus Prime says, I am Optimus Prime. I thought it was just very epic and deep voice sounding. and It's really awesome. That, that was my favorite part of the that was my favorite dialogue. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's Peter Cullen. So it's like for those of us that grew up with the cartoon, hearing him say that it's, it's pretty epic. There is no other Optimus Prime. I mean, no. you can replace him, but it does not come off as it is Peter Cullen. And that's the staple of the community right there. Yeah. Jane, you got a favorite line or one of them? I got a whole section of dialogue. The, uh, <laughs> The uh, the part where uh, Sam's dad takes him to uh, go buy a car and he drives by the uh, Porsche. That was probably, in my opinion, the most hilarious part in the whole movie. It was so horrible, <laughs> but it was it was pretty freaking hilarious. Was- you gonna buy me a Porsche, Dad? No. Yeah. Yeah. Dude, same thing. Yeah. Yeah. Corey, you got a line that you you want to point out? Uh, so I'm going to, I'm going to piggyback on that, Jaden. Uh, so as he gets, Sam gets into his Camaro for the first time, and then he goes to drive off to the party to meet Michaela, the car and Bumblebee just starts making smoke everywhere. And, uh, his mom looks at the husband and says, you are so cheap. And he goes, it's his first car. It's supposed to be like that. Nice. And it's so great because you realize Bumblebee has this engine that Michaela opens up and is so impressed with looks stunning showroom quality why would this transformer need to smoke mm-hmm. like that when he's you know pulling out of the driveway yeah. everything is a show he has to put on the image of he's a car and anyway it just is i just love that whole line that whole scene <laughs> it is pretty great i had that one too uh i'm gonna go with uh bobby bolivia saying a driver don't pick the car the car picks the driver it's a mystical bond between man and machine which he says is a joke but it's yeah. true, which is I love that there's, you know, there's two meanings to that. You know, he says that it's a sales pitch, but that's actually one of the central themes of the movie. You know, Sam quotes him back to that. Quotes him yep. back to him when he says, uh, <laughs> no, 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 I want this car. Says, yes. You said the cars pick the driver. And he goes, yeah, yeah but sometimes they pick the, the, the cars pick the, the cheap-ass fathers. Yes. That's <laughs> pretty beautiful. Uh, Jude, did you have another line that you wanted to share? Another one was... Um, when Optimus Prime says one shall stand and one shall fall. That was, yeah. I like that one a lot. That was pretty epic too. Yeah. Another really deep voiced, awesome cinematic, or not cinematic voice effects going on and stuff right there. Now for those of us who have been fans for a long time, that's a throwback because Optimus Prime said that to Megatron in the cartoon. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. It's a nod to the history and the beauty of Transformers. <laughs> Jaden, did you have another line that you like? I. There are so many lines to pick from. I, I can't think of another one. I'm going to be honest with. No. All right. Uh, I'm going to. I'm going to say a funny one. Um, when when the Autobots are, are crashing to the to the Earth, the kid says, "Wow, this is the coolest thing I've ever seen! Explosions everywhere! This is easily a hundred times cooler than Armageddon! I swear to God!" Which is a brilliant meta reference to another Michael Bay film, and I just love that he takes a shot at himself. I wrote that exact one down, Craig, because I was like, yeah. "This is an this <laughs> just referenced Armageddon, who Michael Bay, the director, directed back then." Oh, that was great. Um, all right, I'm going to throw out uh, the part where Sam and Michaela are riding in Bumblebee and he's in the old Camaro. And then she says, you know, he just doesn't look good. He stops, kicks them out, and then <laughs> Sam says, 
Now you pissed him off. That car is sensitive. $4,000 just drove off. <laughs> I just love it. He's so focused on it. It's $4,000. This robot just had a death match. We just watched him transform. That's $4,000 just drove off like that. Awesome. Any other lines we got to talk about before we move down to body language, facial expressions, and costumes? Uh, I'm going gonna, gonna to throw out another one. This one's more the meta. This is a great line i think you know to imply i'm always looking for meaning in movies so uh, when after they watch the barricade bumblebee fight where sam says 50 years from now when you look back on your life don't you want to say that you had the guts to get in the car yeah and it is an amazing line and i think sometimes looking at things in our perspective when we're adults versus our sons who are you know young kids is so true that you always look back at your life and say, man, I wish I had the guts. I would have done it. I would have done this. I would have done that. And uh, there are powerful moments like that that you have to look back and say, did you have the guts to get in the car? And there's a payoff, Craig. You've always given yep. me to that payoff comment. <laughs> Michaela says at one point during the final battle, she says, I'm really glad I got in that car. So there's a payoff for that comment to come back later. Yeah. And watching it on this time, I'd forgotten how well this movie strikes a balance between just Again, big, dumb fun, but also kind of having those inspirational moments where you're like, yeah, there actually is a bigger theme that's going on here. And you can watch it at that level, too. So yeah. there is, a, you know, they, they're they not just goofy. There is some legitimate sincerity and earnestness to this film. Yeah. You know, and I I'm going to I'm going to point out this. This is a good point for me to point out here is I read when I was so when I saw this movie, I was so excited for it. I read the book. The, the screenplay <laughs> novelization by Alan Dean Foster. He wrote – Oh. Uh, he writes a lot of novelizations for films. And so yeah. I saw it at the store one time and I was like, oh my gosh, that's the movie that's coming out in a month. Grabbed it. I read that in a weekend because I was so excited. And you know what? It's so true because you always have people who say the movies are better than the books or the books are better than the movies. And I think this is one of those movies that showed it to me where I read this novelization – it followed the movie, but there were so many things that in the novelization that are not in the movie. But you also get that inside what they're thinking when they're doing things. You got – I had Starscream's inner thoughts, Megatron's inner thoughts, things they were mad about, frustrated about, like Optimus's inner thoughts, all these thoughts. So then when I'm watching the movie, it's so much more powerful for me, for, for me because I'm looking at it and I know – Oh, I know what Starscream was thinking here. I know what Megatron was thinking. I know what Optimus was thinking. I know what Sam's thinking here. And it's so great. And so I think it's not the movie's better than the book or the book's better than the movie. I think it's the the two together. For people who are real fans, you just love it and you you see why people get so passionate about it. Nice. Yeah, Alan Dean Foster, I mean, he wrote the Star Wars novelization, among many others. So yeah, yeah. that's that's a that's a big get for them to have. Yeah. And rewrite it. A couple of them. And so he's, you know, and I see his name on a lot of novelizations. And so now when I go see some movies that I really like, I'll grab a novelization by the movie and I'll read it beforehand. And it, yes, you know how the movie's going to go. And, you know, that's, you know, some people think that's ruining, but I think when you watch the movie after knowing what they're thinking, it's so much more incredible. Yeah. It also made me think really quick, and I probably should have brought this up earlier, but the Alan Dean Foster, the Star Wars connection made me think that, you know, Steven Spielberg is an exec producer on this. He's the one that hired Michael Bay. So this is, I think that also lends some of the credibility to this movie, right? That it, it is, it's a Spielberg movie in a lot of ways. Yeah. So I think that's one of the reasons it holds up so well. It's got that classic, you know, alien and the kid thing too. I mean, that's, yeah. there's a little bit of ET in this. Uh, I did want to talk about uh, body language. There was a couple things that I really liked. I, I've always enjoyed the scene where Sam is flexing his bicep to point to things in the car. Because it's like he's self-aware. He knows that he's a goofball, but he's also also kind of going for it at the same time. So, You know, and his – Sam Witwicky or uh, Shia LaBeouf is – in this movie, he's a tremendous actor. Like this is kind of his breakout role for what he's known for, you know. And – but I realized watching it this time, he's just a salesman in the classroom. He's, he's just <laughs> yeah. a quick talking, fast talking, smirk comments, sarcasms that are delivered so well. You know, when he's talking to his dad as he's getting in trouble and the Autobots are all in the backyard destroying the yard and he won't let his dad come out. He's talking to him so fast. It's almost like a mini Vince Vaughn. Kind of thing. 
like just the way he stammers and talks through things over yeah. and over and, and throws out witty comments super quick. And I think that's, that's what sells him to be that perfect high school kid for this movie. Yeah. Sleep well, handsome man. That whole bit. I'm a child. I'm, you know, I'm filthy. <laughs> Uh, yeah, there was, that was the main thing I had for that one. And then I just, for costumes, hair and makeup, I mean, it's really like the authenticity. I mean, anytime it's Michael Bay, you know, that the military aspect is going to be super authentic because he gets participation from them. So the uniforms, um, absolutely. But I also really like, like agent Simmons clip on tie. He has that scene where he has to take off his clothes. And he has a clip on tie, which is just what a great character moment. For him, and then of course he has like the Section Seven T-shirt on underneath. He's, you know. role. he is still incredible in the whole thing, and I think he gets washed out later in the series too much. Yeah, he he needed to be a bigger role in all of this. Yeah, he strikes a he's. I always forget that he's in this. Yeah, and he has that again that balance between being like deadly serious and comedic. He he fits that pretty well. All right. Uh, setting and design. The, the one thing that I really liked about this one uh, was they had a product placement deal with, with General Motors, which I remember as a first time I watched this, I was a little disappointed that some of the um, some I think it's is it jazz. That's not the same. Like it's a there's a GM version of the that's not a Porsche like he's a GM version of that. It's jazz, right? That's the Porsche. Jazz is the Porsche, but he's not a Porsche in this. He's something. No, it's a sun. Uh, I used to know what it is. It's a sun sun star. So I can't. Or, oh shoot, I can't remember. Yeah, but it's it's meant to be evocative of the yeah. you know, like you mentioned the G, the G one forms. Uh, but yeah, nearly two hundred cars in, in this film. Uh, most of them flood damaged, of course. And then you have you know things like F twenty twos, F one seventeens, V twenty two Ospreys, A ten Thunderbolts. Lockheed AC-130. There's tons of military aircraft in this as well. Michael Bay likes to highlight those. He really yeah. likes to showcase that the military aspect and what that they can do with some of those weapons. Like when that gunship turns to fire on Scorponok, the scorpion in the desert. Yeah. That that and I remember when this came out, you know, there was things about yes, gunships can really do that where they pivot sideways and just fire the rounds and they could keep them on spot where they needed to be. You know, that was 2007 that they were doing that. So Michael Bay does a good job of highlighting those types of things. Yeah. Uh, I also, one thing I like about this a lot too, I don't know if you guys paid too much attention to this, but a lot of it's filmed on location. Like there's not a lot of green screen in this. Other, I mean, the, obviously the Autobots and the Decepticons are, are, are CGI, but like it's filmed on, on an act in Air Force Base in New Mexico, which stands in for Qatar, Holloman Air Force Base. It's filmed at the Hoover Dam, at the Pentagon, uh, Hughes Aircraft, Playa Vista, the Universal Studios backlot is for some of it. Most of it's on location, which I think is is cool. And, and that's one of the reasons that he is as fantastic as this movie is, you know, as out of out of world this is, that it feels kind of grounded because it's on real locations. Except Mission City. Yeah. <laughs> Mission City is a false city. It's like yeah, that. Yeah. You know, it's it's there for that. or Metropolis. It's, you know, and so I always like that they they got Hoover Dam. We've got everything the same. And then we got to get to Mission City, you know, and I was like, Mission City, where's that? <laughs> <laughs> Can't find that by Vegas. So, uh, you know, but they they do a great job. I absolutely love it. And I, I agree. I think not doing some of the green screen, I think. uh really adds to this movie. And maybe that's why it holds up so well. You know, Iron Man was filmed around this time and it holds up so well too. Yeah. Did they do a lot of green screen on Iron Man? I don't know, but they had a lot of CGI similar to this that has held up so well. Uh, for, for set decoration, Sam's room, I think is fascinating. Yeah. What did, did you then notice anything about Sam's room, Jaden? It was a complete mess. <laughs> well, yeah. But he's got just like there's like lockers in there and just tons of posters and it's an old bathtub for some reason. I did notice that. <laughs> he's got because his dad hides in there at one point when he thinks it's an earthquake. Yeah, like it. It's a really interesting thing. Uh, and one thing I really like too is the the I, I'm just gonna call it the cube radiation box. Yeah. Oh, where they they zap what is it the little phone and then it turn, transforms. 
it feels very Frankenstein in that room with the the lighting and like the tube sticking out of the out of the box. Now, it's, this love is it. where the book comes in here, Craig, is because Agent Simmons, the part where they make the joke in there about the claws on the wall, and he says, oh, there's oh. only three claws. He goes, that's that's Wolverine, right? And they make the <laughs> yeah. joke. And Agent Simmons, kind of in an angry tone, uh, makes a comment to them. Now, in the book, in the novelization by Alan Dean Foster, is it Agent Simmons rep, uh, is reminiscing through that scene that before they put the box in there, some of these Transformers that they did this to, that they turned into Transformers, killed people that he worked with. Uh-huh. So those, he remembers those claw marks being made because he lost fellow troopers in there in that with that Transformer that came alive. So again, see, sometimes the book adds to the narration of the movie. Reading is good, kids. See? Just tell them. So I had some ideas for props, but I wanted to hit, give you guys a chance to talk with us. Jude, did you have uh, any props that you thought were interesting that you liked, like handheld stuff? Um, I'm not sure. There was a few things. I'm trying to think. The, I think the cube was one prop that was pretty big part of the story. Sure. Probably the biggest part of the sto- that this movie. So for, well, in the movie, start of the franchise and everything going on. I think that was pretty prop that i noticed yeah that's the as we like to call it Corey, a mcguffin a mcguffin yeah. well and i'm gonna tell you <laughs> it is i absolutely love how it transforms how bumblebee transforms the cube and everybody watches this just shrink it down into this small box that they can carry here it was this ginormous thing taking up a third of hoover dam but uh couple of the props that i liked i think the just the weapons i think that they use for the the high heat saber rounds and stuff like that i think those are nice ways to kind of show the military's props how they use to try and fight them and our weapons have to kind of we have to step up a notch we can't just use just a regular weapon to oh yeah order. yeah Jaden, did you have one uh the glasses that they frequently go back to Sam Witwicky's glasses? Yeah. Yes. The ones or Archibald Witwicky's. Yeah. Yes. That's pretty important. Frenzy says he has seen our language because okay, it's got the Transformer symbols on it. Yeah. Yeah. One thing that jumped out to me this time too was the uh, the memory card. It's like a two gigabyte memory card, which felt really big at the time. But that's one of the things that felt kind of dated. Like, where is it? Because I, I had to pause it. I'm like, does it almost say two gigs? Yeah. That's all it is? Because like a floppy disk. Yeah. <laughs> Goodness gracious. That's good stuff. Uh, for for characters, unless you guys have anything else for set decoration or anything? I think, we're, I think we're transitioning. No, I think I would say I would add that I absolutely love when she goes to Glenn's house. And uh, <laughs> Glenn's house, they've got the dance game on there. Yep. And then the FBI busts in and he's tackled in the pool and just <laughs> that whole thing. <laughs> and then um, – with Glenn to highlight the prop, the donut prop that they put in there. <laughs> Create that. a tremendous scene for him where he's so confident they put the donuts out there to test your guilt. So I ate the whole plate. The whole plate. Yeah. So then as soon as they drop the file, she did it. She's the one you want. Like just <laughs> it creates a great scene, you know, where you go immediately from he's this ultimate hacker to here he's in there and he thinks he's got the upper hand to automatically he's selling her out and and uh, it, that just is that whole scene with him is is incredible, and just from a plate of donuts. Yeah, that's a good character beat tied to the to the props for sure. Yeah, um, I'm just looking down the list of the characters that we haven't talked about yet, and I really just want to call out first. I want to call it Kevin Dunn and Julie White who play Ron and Ju- and Judy Whitwicky because they are just pitch perfect in this, and like you make <laughs> it makes sense that Sam is the way he is. Yes, because of the way the way they are. They are just hilarious and most of the time i'm like i could almost just do without any humans but those people are funny and they're not as she's a lot more nuts in the second movie they play that up a little bit too much i think in the second movie but in this movie i think there's a just the right amount i i feel like when you're mentioning uh the parents of sam wiki i think the post-credit scene was very funny with them and it was really funny it was really Hilarious. I really liked that. Pretty funny. 
Oh, they were. Oh, no, no. If there were, if there were aliens, the government would tell us. That's their yeah. job. There's no secrets. <laughs> Playing along with it. Yeah. Uh, we didn't talk about we didn't talk about Therese Gibson playing Epps. He's pretty great in this too. Like the whole the, the whole unit, the whole army unit at the beginning, like all those guys. I just love their interactions. Like <laughs> the one guy just keeps speaking in Spanish. Like English, dude. We don't we don't speak Spanish. I just love that camaraderie they all have. Uh, Josh Dumel, of course. Josh Dumel, I think is a is an, a great addition. He's great through the whole thing. Um. Epps was good. I really liked him, but um, Josh Dumel, I thought they built more on his character than they did on Epps. Yeah. So I liked him. Um, the girl, I thought, was an interesting one, the analyst, that they never brought her back. I mean, she she's in this one. Um, they write off Megan Fox later, and they bring in some some new girl for Sam, but I always thought – Yeah, Rachel Taylor, analyst, yeah. Would have been a great one um, to have kept around in the franchise, but yeah, I mean she she makes a name for herself a little bit later on. She's in Jessica Jones, all three seasons of that, and I know she's been in some other stuff, but I don't know. Maybe she too got too big for a smaller part or whatever. I, I'm not sure. I love John Voight. Just about everything that he's in, he's great in this too. Uh, he's he's, he's yeah. very macho, very he's very dry know, in he places. Just has that presence with himself the whole time. Um, but again, I, I'm a fan of Agent Simmons. I think he's great. I love him and and Keller's interaction. So I like how they take on Frenzy and um, that's pretty good. Yeah. I, I also want to shout out because I, I had to look up his name. Uh, Michael O'Neill, who plays Tom Banachek. He's the one who has his ridiculous government salary. The guy who's like actually in charge of Sector 7. I just love that scene with him. Like he's in so many things like we're rewatching The West Wing right now and he's in that. He plays a Secret Service guy. And he's a guy you've seen in a hundred things and he's just always solid in everything that he's in. It just feels very, there's a gravitas to him. You know, you can tell he's in, he's in charge. He knows what's going on. Uh, Hugo Weaving is uh, Megatron. Yes. How do you feel about Hugo Weaving instead of uh, Frank Welker for that? Frank Welker. Uh, you know, Hugo Weaving, Megatron's voice, it can't match what the cartoon was. It's, it's not fitting for that especially you know giant robotic organism so it's it's got to be dark it's got to be that base dark sinister voice and hugo weaving is in 2007 hugo weaving is the guy you bring in for that role and uh you know frank welker is the legend of megatron and uh it's it just has to match in that moment, the realism and the power of Optimus Prime, Peter Cullen's voice, you have the exact mirror with Frank with uh, Hugo Weaving. Those two voices are iconic in that moment. So it's it fit. I, I felt bad because, you know, Frank Welker was the the guy, you know. You got in Peter Cullen, you gotta get Frank Welker, but yeah. He and he comes back later. You know, he's he's in the later movies, but yeah. yeah and yeah, I, Hugo Weaving, it's so heavily processed. Like, it's not instantly recognizable either. I think if it would have sounded like Agent Smith, I would have probably been pretty irritated, but yeah, it, it doesn't. Um, Yeah. I mean, there's a ton of great voice actors in this. I'm not going to list all of them, but I did. Oh, yeah. Glenn Moore showers in this. He's always great. Uh, As Colonel Sharp. The Hero's Journey. And I, you sent me something earlier today, so I know you're ready for Hero's Journey, Corey. So I'm going to just sit back and learn from you. Now, listen, Sam gets the Hero's Journey through the franchise. He does not get it through this movie. He, this movie is the initial call to action for Sam Witwicky. This movie does not have the death of the mentor. That comes in Dark of the Moon. So you look at Sam's Hero's Journey – it's over a multi-movie deal with this one. You know, it's uh, Optimus dying and then he he rises to the battle, goes through his dark times in, in Dark of the Moon and then or, uh, in Revenge of the Fallen and then brings back Optimus, right? And so that's his rising part. That's his, that's his culmination of who he is. So I think Sam's Hero's Journey is a different take because it's over multiple movies different than we get with some of these where the hero's journey occurs within the movie or within one tale. And so that's, that's the hard part. That's the struggle that I have with this. We want to talk about transformers 2007. Uh, we're not going to quite see his full immersion of his hero's journey, but we're going to see his call to action, his selection, 
he was destined and then his call to action and he's involved in this initial war. And then it's the second one where now we see he was chosen. He was picked why he had that supernatural picking. So it was always his destiny as they say, as the fallen say. Nice. Yeah. I mean, you even have in revenge of the fallen, you even have the apotheosis where he dies and comes back. So it really does. You just get all the, what the three movies, you kind of get the whole arc. Yeah. Uh, now, him. I mean, in the hero's journey on this, I mean, is Sam the main hero? I mean, I know he's the protagonist, but is one of the Autobots. I mean, Bumblebee is the one that's in every single one of these movies and lives through every single one of these movies. So is Bumblebee the one? He He's the one who maybe Bumblebee, because this is my thought, maybe Bumblebee is the hero that we're looking at because he goes back and gets this Bumblebee second movie, you know, the Bumblebee movie, which right. is great. And then Rise of the Beast, which is a continuation of that. So maybe Bumblebee's the hero's journey. He watches Optimus Prime die. That's his mentor and his buddy. And he's watches Sam die at that one point in, in Revenge of the Fallen. And, you know, and so he perhaps Bumblebee is the hero that we're looking at. So I don't know. There's a lot of questions you could ask as far as, as hero's journey, which what the focus is the human, the character or is the Transformers, the character? To consider. Yeah. And you know, like I would even push back a little bit on Sam Witwicky being the protagonist. I think, I mean, I think ultimately he is, but this movie has so many characters in it. I mean, that you even have like uh, Captain Lennox, like Josh Jamel's character is his, he's got a parallel story going too, where you kind of have all these different narratives that are equally important, yep. which I think is, is fascinating that there's not just the one central and they could have done it that way. It's interesting that they, have all of these different things happening at the same time. You know, I have certain scenes with just the Autobots are, are, are doing their things separate from the humans. So that's the complexity of this movie. I'm going to tell you, there's four main things you have going on. You've got the Autobots and the Decepticons going, you've got Sam and Michaela's story going, you have these analysts who are involved and right. then you have uh, sector seven and the agents and all of that taking place. Right. And so you have these four things going at one time and it's very hard to pull that off, there's four, you know, those four human elements and then Autobots and Decepticons doing that too to give everything screen time. Michael Bay does a great job with it. I think that's why you get a lot of those narrations of the scenes where there's they're cutting scenes back and forth and they're while they're narrating, you're seeing what's taking place. Right. Um, I see that's why he does that. But it, it something has to be left behind when you do that. You can only fill up so much screen time. And so I think sometimes – some of the Decepticons did not get their screen time. For example, Starscream never got his screen time in this one that he deserved. Yeah. Especially being the second in the command, the loved and hated character of Starscream and Megatron's You Fail Me Yet Again, Starscream. Like, we need some buildup. Why? What's that What's that going on? I mean, I know from the cartoon why that's there. Right. And I can tell you because I know from the novelization by Alan Dean Foster that that is uh, Starscream – there's a point in there where Starscream, Sam has the cube on top of the building and Starscream, you go to his inner thoughts and he's trying to get to that cube before Megatron. He did not want Megatron to get the cube. And so he's going after it and trying to figure out how can I get there before Megatron and then I become the the one who's in, in charge. Then I become, which is exactly Starscream's sure. character from the stories. Yeah. And so <clears throat> you get that in the book. And then you know that, but that doesn't, that you can't put that in the screen. You can't write that as well. And so instead you just see Starscream off to the side, clutching onto the building. And uh, I always thought it would have been great to add that in there somewhere. If we could have saw the manipulation of Starscream brought into that film, but it's hard to do that. Can't do it. Yeah. No. And, and I would just kind of, to build off that, I'd, I'd head into world building a little bit. And cause if there is a criticism I have of this film, it's that some of the Autobots are kind of under, well, not all just Autobots, but the, the subsequences as well are kind of underdeveloped. Uh, I would have liked to have seen, and I know you can't do everything. And you and I've talked off air too about like, let's just not have any human characters in this at all. Cause I do kind of want to see the, you know, the inner, the politics of the Decepticons. And yeah, cause Starscream is continually trying to betray Megatron and then backing off all that stuff. And it's hard to keep track as, and of who the, all of the Autobots are for the, I mean, I'm sure you're not having a problem cause you know, these characters so well, but especially during that, like that last battle, like I have a hard time keeping track of everything that's going on simply because I don't 
identify who the characters are. I don't not invest in them other than Bumblebee. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like I can, oh, there's a guy with a helicopter. That's the bad guy. I remember him from earlier, but it's, it's, I can get it for most of it. But every time I'm like, I lose a little bit of what's going on just because it's, they're not super clearly defined. Yeah. And if we could have spent more time with that, then maybe that works a little better. The the two that we do see, I will say in the film, there's several in that last battle, there are some excellent jobs they did with those Transformers. Bumblebee uh, getting blown up and losing his legs early on in the battle absolutely made me mad. And then because I was like, gosh, dang it, you just one, you gave the favorite that everybody loves. You gave him no voice. Right. And that drives. Yeah. Me and he still never gets a good voice throughout this whole series. I'm like, come on, just let the guy talk. And then. Um, but I will tell you, Ironhide blowing the street up so that he can stay over top and not crush the human girl that's screaming like oh, over yeah. top of her is absolutely stunning to watch that. I mean, the first time I saw that, I had that rewound and watched several times, all the time. Starscream fighting the fighter jets and blowing them up. That's cool. Then taking a swipe at one of the jets and missing and showing that even he has to, you know, his timing and aerodynamics has to be. He falls under the same rules. He can't just do everything, right? So he swings at a jet and misses, which was great, you know. And then um, Jazz going up and taking that tank off, uh, taking the arm off the tank with Ratchet where they attack the brawl and they get him to transform. And and uh, that – I mean, this, I think the scene does a great job building the Transformers and getting you excited in there. Um, but it's like – I would love to have seen more of that somewhere. And I think I think that's where you go back and you give us a movie with no humans. Go back. <laughs> give that's me right. a movie like the first 10 minutes of the Bumblebee movie, the first 10 minutes of that movie. So good. Yeah. Cinematic masterpiece. Give me an entire movie of that. Humans only bog the story down. Let's go back and do that. There you go. All right, let's uh, let's go ahead and move down to final thoughts. We've kind of transitioned into that. All right, Jude, I'm going to start with you. I haven't heard from you for a little bit, so I don't want to hog it too much. Jude, why don't you uh, let us know what are your final thoughts on this Transformers movie? I feel like it was overall pretty awesome. It was, I think it was like awesome, and it was just a solid story, and it was just like it made like a it was a good movie to like set a, set up a whole story in front of it and. It, Made a solid plot starting and everything. It was a pretty amazing movie for many types, many sections of and categories for movie things and story plot. Cool. Jade, what about you? Final thoughts? Okay, I probably should have said this earlier, but the whole scene where like uh, the Autobots are hiding in uh, Sam's front yard with the fountain. I used to like that scene when I was younger because I it was funny, but looking back and now I just, I'm getting the clumsy giant feeling with all of them. And I honestly, I never really liked that feeling when like you're watching these really cool characters who are like, and part of my French, but totally badass, And like, there's walking around, breaking stuff accidentally and like, Ooh, my bad and all that crap. Sorry. But uh, <laughs> that's fine. Never, never really liked that because I, I totally admire all of them. And I just don't like seeing them walk and look around like they're total morons. It's fair. Anything else you want to say about the movie? And and, and uh, uh, okay, positives. Uh, <laughs> it is a really fun movie to watch, and like Jude said, it does an excellent job setting up for the next uh, movies that come after this. All right, Corey, your final thoughts. This movie <laughs> is my. This is up there with me for you know, Shazam, Batman vs. Superman. Uh, I This is one of my top movies. I love this franchise. And so, and I think here's the thing. It's a great movie. I love it. Are there flaws? Yes. Is the CGI great? Yes, it absolutely is. Are there some great things in it and dialogue? Yes, absolutely. But this is the point of a franchise and a fan. I absolutely love it. I'm on board with it every time. I'm going to be there. Are There's always that toxic element that says, and it happens in Star Wars universe. It happens in uh, Star Trek universe, happens in any, any universe that we have, any franchise. There's always people that say, it's not close enough to the comics. You deviated from the comic stories. You rewrote some of the canon things. And while that's true and it does happen, 
there's things that are comics, things that are cartoons, and things that are early 80s franchise that have to be deviated from a little bit because it's a modern story. It's a modern tale. And to take something from a cartoon and move it into real life with CGI, you have to bring some elements in there that are a little bit more realistic and a little bit more imaginative and modern for how we could tell that tale. And so I think I think with this, this is a perfect beginning for me to love it. I will always love every Transformer. I will make sure they get my money so they'll keep making more. Um, I'll even support the toys that I have in my classroom. So, I mean, I'm just saying I'm a fan. I'm a fan and I love it. I think it's great. I love what Michael Bay did with it. I love what the new Bumblebees are doing. The Bumblebee series is. I don't know how they're going to tie it all together. I can see them trying to do that. Um, but I think sometimes it's okay to say we're just in an alternate parallel, you know, universe and and uh, this is Earth 90. We can do that. You know, we can do what we want here. Um, but I think I am so looking forward to Transformers Rise of the Beasts. This movie just gets me excited to go see that movie coming out. The designs and the new rewrites and the reimagining of some of these transformations is so much better, even though for kids it's too hard for them to transform those toys. <laughs> but – but that's the big complaint. It was too hard to transform the toys. But for us fans who love them, they're screen accurate and they look beautiful. So uh, I think Michael Bay absolutely nailed it with this movie. And uh, it's a great start in reviving the series. Yeah, I, I mean, I'll, I've said it before that film knows what it is. And, and I really appreciate that. Like it doesn't try and be something that it's not. And as much as it, yes, it did change certain things. Like it bugged me out a little bit that Optimus was not the exact same type of semi truck that he was in the cartoon that did bug me at first, but overall it feels like transformers. It felt like the cartoon when I was a kid. And I think most hardcore Transformers fans from the 80s, about our age, probably really enjoyed this film for what it is and doesn't and don't care because it's close enough. Like it didn't try and reinvent itself into something else, didn't try and push a message of some kind. It was literally like, this is just going to be big, huge robots punching the crap out of each other. That's what we wanted to go see. That's the story you gave us. And we're happy with that. So... Bring on the next one because I'm there too. Let's oh, do it. Opening night, I'm there. And, uh, you know, I will say for, for my plug for the Hasbro toys, they need to step up their toys. The toys have fallen off a little bit. Because they were too difficult for people to transform, they've dropped them a little bit. They're like 10-step transformers. It's like really annoying. And yeah, and they're not like as – 40-step type ones and 30, 30, 40-type step. Those big transformers that take a while to transform those are – Pretty awesome. They're more detailed and stuff, and it's and they're way more screen accurate and better, and they look beautiful. But people are like, "Oh, they're too hard to transform." But it's like a puzzle. It's like a Rubik's cube, right? Mm -hmm. If you're a fan, you love it. So, so what I'm hearing you say, Corey, is that you wouldn't mind being sponsored by Hasbro, so they could send us some toys, and oh. then you could do demos. Like, oh, I'm telling you right now, make make videos, and we'll post it to our YouTube page. I would have reviews. I would have <laughs> review videos. I'll show you. Oh, let's compare it with this one. Let's take a look. Let's transform it. Let's have some. I'd give up my job and just go do that. <laughs> We're yeah. open, Hasbro. Give us a call. Voicemail. Email us. There we go. Uh, so we're going to go ahead and close, uh, close the show guys. We just want to say thank you so much for listening tonight. Uh, if you'd like to connect with us, you can find us on Twitter and Facebook. Email us at readingbetweenreels at gmail.com or use the SpeakPipe app on our website. If you enjoyed the show, please tell a friend, support us by writing a review on your favorite podcast catcher, where everywhere you listen to podcasts, you can find us very easily. And as you know, today we're giving one lucky listener a digital copy of Mission Impossible 3. All you had to do to enter was leave us a voicemail using the SpeakPipe app. And I have a voicemail to play. Hey guys, Aaron Harris here. Hope you all are doing well. Um, love the show. Love what you're doing with it. Uh, Mission Impossible series was incredible. Uh, and I really, really enjoyed the movies. Um, got to, still got to see the new one. Haven't seen the newest one yet, but love them. Three was absolutely awesome. So hope you all are doing well. Keep up the excellent reviews. Y'all are the best. May the force be with you. All right. That was from our good friend Aaron Harris uh, of Star Wars Reactions. He's a great guy. He's the winner. Uh, so, Aaron, make sure you check your email. We'll be sending out that code for the digital copy. 
And for our next episode, we're going to be giving away another digital copy, this time of Mission Impossible 4, Ghost Protocol. All you have uh, to do to enter... The- Aaron, just yes. so you know, that video copy will self-destruct in five <laughs> seconds. <laughs> it might. Um, so we have a new giveaway, Ghost Protocol. All you got to do this time uh, is follow us on Instagram and like and comment on the Instagram contest announcement post. So we're going to post that uh, coming up here uh, when this episode releases. Look for that announcement post on Instagram, follow it, follow us, like that, and comment on that post, and that's how you enter. The winner will be announced on the next episode of Reading Between the Reels. And one more thing, we've been waiting for this episode for a while, our next episode. Corey, do you know what we're doing for our next episode? What is it? Zack Snyder's Justice League. I'm on board, baby. (laughs) I'm all in. Yes, with special guest Anthony King of Force Ghost Conversations. He's coming back. I've talked to him recently. He said he's already in the waiting room, so we got to get going. Um, yeah, the whole thing, the four-hour version. We're going to be talking about that. You're darn right we are. Yep, and oh. Justin will be back for that one. Uh, we missed him tonight. So send us an email or voicemail about your favorite moments from Zack Snyder's Justice League, and we'll share it on the next episode. 